Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. It's uh, Roxanne Derhodge. Thanks for tuning in again to Authentic Living with Roxanne. Today, I have a colleague, Ron Stotts, um, who has uh, been in the field of transformational leadership for, um, I would say, quite a long time, and he has a lot of wisdom that he can share with us. So, Ron, uh, thanks for coming on today. Well, thanks for having me. Enjoy being here with you. Awesome. So, Ron and I were able to connect a bit a uh, while back, and um, some of the things that he's done... Uh, He's a, obviously a top leadership expert and has been doing this kind of work for a while. Um, he's a best-selling author several times um, over, an international speaker, and he focuses on transformational leadership. And he's going to share with you um, probably at some point um, some work that he's doing and a course that he's offering. So, Ron, let's talk a little bit, um, first of all, kind of what's, what was your path to get into into transformational kind of leadership. Into this work? Well, it started as you <laughs> tactfully said a long time ago. And, uh, you know, it really came out of, you know, in the, in the past, I came from a fairly strong spiritual background and were, you know, really focused on helping bring out the best in an individual, bring them into a more conscious place. And as I got into that more and more. I was quite successful. I had centers in Switzerland and here. And so that went on and, and it was great. It was a lot of fun. Uh, but uh, I started getting into the brain, the brain integration center and doing research on the brain. And then I moved into being executive uh, VP of Inner Game Corporation. And it was pretty there that I began the transformation and the leadership concerns. And we were really helping AT&T go from a for-profit to, excuse me, from a monopoly to a for-profit uh, divestiture organization. And it was fascinating because I, little old me, I'm running all over the country talking with the highest levels of uh, leaders, execs, and management. And so I really got this big picture perspective of AT&T, which was a massively successful and massive organization. But I really, it came down to, because I had done, you know, years of individual and couples work, it really came down to, I felt like I was talking to, you know, the Johnson family or the, you know, whatever, you know, because the highest level people were kind of like dad, and then the, the manager kind of like mom, and then there's all the other lesser management levels, and they were kind of like the kids, and of course, the influence of those highest levels just filtered right through. And the fear level, the conservatism, the mentality of those execs really defined the country, excuse me, the company. And you would hear urban legends like, oh, so-and-so tried this 20 years ago and it didn't work. And so he's been living with that for 20 years. And mm -hmm. so everybody was just in their little capsule of safety and 
just kept their nose down and, and moving forward. And of course, that works in a monopoly, I guess, to some degree, especially if you have no competition. Uh, but um, as going into a for-profit, that is the antithesis of what's going to work because nobody's going to come up with new ideas. Nobody's going to be collaborating and cooperating and being supportive of one another. You know, they're, they're in competition with each other. They're, you know, not supportive. It's really the antithesis of what you're looking for. And so, um, unfortunately, we created programs for them that they just fell in love with, but by the time they really wanted to implement them, they wanted to water them down so much that it just wasn't worth my time. And uh, so I went back into more working with entrepreneurs and in that, that direction. And, but what really interested me in, in this phase that we're in in life now is I'm watching the world wake up. And that's exciting me. I'm wa watching women finally, you know, be able to stand up. I'm watching various, you know, all the different ethnicities and all the different unusual, different aspects of who and what our culture is made up of stand up for themselves and be noticed and be counted and be become a part of the whole community. And that I've always felt is the absolute necessity. Uh, you know, this old white guy top-down leadership stuff has created nothing but problems. You know, they might have successful businesses, but they create chaotic societies that don't really support the individuals involved or the, or the planet or, or anything in the longer picture. You know, it's one thing to make billions of dollars and then go after, after the fact, go back and go, okay, well, I'm going to contribute to education. I'm going to contribute to food and welfare of others and that sort of thing. But in looking at it, they're really just cleaning up part of the mess that they've made. <laughs> and so I started looking, and my research really showed it to me. My publisher directed me to looking at the effect of the highest level leaders. And there's really about you know, 5 10% of the highest level leaders that are really capable of making a change and having a lasting impact, both in the organization but even on a societal level, which is really what I'm interested in, even, even more. You know, so that's what really drew me into it. And, you know, I've had huge successes. I, I, you know, most of my clients aren't playing on this level, but I had one fellow who got five nine-figure businesses. And within a year of coming in and feeling like he was about to lose everything, quite literally, including the love of his life, he more than doubled the value of all those businesses. Um, the love of his life came back and they got married. Uh, so what it allowed me to see is that level and, and both, you know, I saw it in his testimonial, really the statement of he never realized how completely connected his own personal development was to the development of his organization. Mm -hmm. And uh, the thing that I'm, happen to be very good at because I've been doing it all my life is transformational work. I know how to take somebody from this level of consciousness, this level of leadership into the highest levels. Where let's, really let's, let's talk about that because I'm, I'm curious. I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm like, well, tell me more because okay. I'm, I'd like to know what the process is. Obviously, you know, so, a, a, you know, he's a magnet at, to some Point, like you said, running yeah. multiple uh, multi-million dollar businesses and yeah. 
things still aren't going right for him in the way mm-hmm. that he wants. Mm-hmm. So what makes a, um, him, to, he comes to you because the business isn't doing well or the relationship's not doing well. Why does he come forward to, to work with you, Ron? Yeah, there's always a pain point. They've always gotten to a place where something's not working and and they keep bumping against that uh, to a point where they really have to do something. You know, and and he somebody recommended him come to me. They had worked for me several years, worked with me for several years uh, before. And uh, so I think it was just out of complete frustration and helplessness. You know, just not just not being satisfied or feeling that life was going in the, the way that he wanted at that point. Yeah. So when someone like that comes to you, what what mm-hmm. do you have? I mean, I know most people have processes, but what mm-hmm. makes your process? Um, different or unique or sets you apart from um like you said transformational leadership is is your thing but you obviously have developed a certain way with working with people that allows people to come forward um that's needing that kind of assistance the difference in my work is the depth of it quite honestly um and i think it's because of my background Uh, you know i've been doing this 40 50 years and i've studied ancient wisdom, you know, neurology, psychology, spirituality. Mm-hmm. And I bring all of that into, into the forefront of my work. And, mm-hmm. you know, I watch people talk about their work life or their family life or their, you know, health life. I think that's right there. You have a problem because there's really only one life and it's your life and everything in your life has to be really focused on your highest intention. So if you don't know your highest intention, you have really no direction in life. Mm -hmm. Your highest intention also allows you to understand what you can be doing to create that. So that's your greatest purpose. So once you have your greatest purpose moving towards your highest intention, all aspects of your life come into alignment in, in support of that, uh, of, that high, of that intention, of that goal for your life. So your life just becomes really magnificent and an incredibly amazing life comes out of it. And I see that with all of my clients. And so I'm quite literally going in and, you know, a lot of people go, oh, well, I'll, you'll get new software for the brain here. Well, I'm going in, I'm really creating a new operating system in my initial work so that they are playing at a whole different level of consciousness. They're not at the effect of the past. We've healed that, we've taken care of all that. They really are working on a place where they feel like they are a new person. And that's certainly something I see in testimonials time and time again, is I feel like I'm an entirely new person. And they are because your level of consciousness determines how you see and experience all of life. So when you let go of this fear-based unconscious living, and really fallen in love with yourself and moved into a place of curiosity and presence, you see and experience everything completely differently. You react and respond to everything differently. You, you find yourself being literally, and, and to a deep degree, grateful and appreciative and curious and present. And just as I saw in the early years around spirituality, as people became more conscious, they became more caring about other people they became more conscious and aware of the society as a whole and the planet. And it's true for these leaders. All of a sudden they are looking at, you know, oh, I care more about these people that work with me. I want to restructure my organization so that it 
is more developmentally oriented, uh, really cooperative, collaborative, uh, but supportive of everybody. How do I bring out the best in everybody? And, you know, and that's not even necessarily just their organization, but who they sell to, who they buy. But the ripple, the ripple effect. Exactly. So, you know, I'm, I'm listening to the book of joy. Um, I, I started to listen to it. I'm almost done with uh, um, Desmond Tutu and, um, and uh, the Dalai Lama. And in the research, what it shows is that, in fact, um, a couple of things, uh, that people that use the word I more often are more likely to, you know, have some of these chronic diseases like um, related to heart, high blood pressure, diabetes, those types of things. So almost the collectivist kind of perspective is more in line with the we, right? And when, um, you know, when they, when we start to look at the space from a we, which is exactly what you're talking about, you're deconstructing that kind of um, individualistic perspective of I, it's all about, which makes me separate from everything, which is kind of what you're talking about with some of these leaders that you're dealing and with. And that's a fear-based um, scarcity mentality, yeah, rather yeah. than an abundant uh, based mentality that's more, much more love oriented. So, yeah. yeah. So, would you say, like you said, we talked a lot, we're talking about systems theory, right? And deconstructing of, you know, it's so interesting with my background. When I listen to you, I'm like, oh my goodness, that's all the stuff that I do and I've been exposed to and I use all the time. And you're deconstructing who has the power and who's the alliances and who do we need to kind of de-stratify to be able to collapse the silos that work within um, obviously a family and then an internal organization. So it's really um, structural uh, family therapy systems that, yeah. that collate into corporate. Same thing, uh, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's fascinating to listen to you talk about that. So generally you, you tell me, cause you've been doing this work um, a lot longer than I have been that um, a lot of times um, when senior leaders get up the ranks or even CEOs, a lot of them are, can be more on the, I would say, autocratic tactical based outcome kind of individuals that get promoted up. Would you fair, be, say that's a fair kind of space Absolutely. to be corporate? Okay. And, that's, and that's your fear base. Any Anytime you put somebody in a position that they're uncomfortable with and don't feel like they're good enough for or capable of handling, they're, they're going to be stressed. They're going to be fear-based. And that turns them into that more autocratic, dominating, domineering, controlling person. They come up with more rules, you know, and they come up with more, you know, my way or the highway, you know, perspectives on, on everything. And it doesn't work. It, it, first of all, they end up thinking that they have to do it all, which, you know, doesn't work. Uh, they end up feeling like, you know, I, I hear questions like, well, how do I get more out of my employees? And how do I keep people from leaving? And, you know, they don't seem happy and they aren't working together and they're not collaborating. Well, of course they're not. You've created an atmosphere that's, you know, just doesn't support any of that. And, you know, the, all of the research shows, and I've certainly seen it with my employee, or, excuse me, uh, clients is, that the more conscious your organization is, the more collaborative and cooperative it is, the more you're supporting bringing out the best in everybody, the more they want to contribute. They don't mind working late. In fact, they're excited about what they're doing. You've got a mission statement that gives meaning to their life and meaning to the organization. And they're, they're committed to that. They're excited to be a part of it. 
and that excitement goes into their families and their families become more supportive of what they're doing and how they're doing it. And, and their relationships with their kids, the relationship with their partners becomes better. And, and that ripple effect you referred to just continues to take place. It's like the inkblot effect, right? Quite literally, like, yeah. Yeah. you know, so I often say, you know, you have these strategic objectives and things that people have to get done. And we have, you know, our, you know, investors and our boards and all this structure that kind of follows people around. And at the end of the day, I think of myself, you know, I, I reported to someone, uh, my EVP, and I absolutely loved him. I think he was probably one of the nicest people I was fortunate to have um, spent time with. And quite literally, it was the busiest time in my life. My my family was young. I was traveling. But I always um, wanted to serve him the best. Sure. And he, in yeah. turn, yeah. Um, you know, saw everything that I was doing along with everything that I was going through at that particular stage in my life. And I remember having to go to like CEO round tables at dinners out of town. I'd be like thinking, how am I going to do this? But I would pull it off because it was so important for him that there's a presence and then I was the presence he wanted there. So it's, when you say that, it's so, it's so true. You had a relationship with him. You cared yeah. about each other and yeah. you wanted to support the common, common denominator, your work and all of that. I mean, and, yeah, let me, uh, one, yeah, the, point of that though is all of the research shows and this is like 50 55 years of research that those companies are 40 excuse me, yeah 40 percent more profitable and product productive you know the funny thing is is that when i share that figure with the people that i've worked with they kind of laugh because the 40 percent seems like well way more than that <laughs> but research you know at least that makes it uh, you know ironclad that you're going to at least get that and when you start looking at it, of course you're going to make more money. Of course you're going to, you know, the cost. You know, but but, but I'm going to play the devil's advocate here for a second. Yeah. You have people like Walt Disney that, you know, um, yeah. you know, he was known to be irate. And, mm -hmm. you know, Jeff Bezos is not known to be the nicest personality. And, and um, you know, Jobs was, you know, you know, so you do, you can't put, point out some of these mega successful companies that have had these leaders um, that were not um, embodying the ideals we're talking about here. Yeah, and they are also not happy people. I mean, yeah. they, weren't, they didn't create happy, supportive environments. Uh, yeah, and, and you're, you're looking at success as just money, and I don't look at that. I look mm -hmm. at success as a successful life, a fulfilling life. Mm -hmm. That includes being successful financially, but it doesn't, you know, disconnect it from everything else. And that's what you see. I mean, Steve Jobs, I'm fortunate enough to meet him. You know, he, well, he died early. That's how miserable he was. And due to his childhood that was never handled. You know, he had a very difficult childhood and those issues never got looked at or handled. And, you know, they, they played out in the, those organizations he was part of. I mean, I look at one of the organizations that happens to make movies, animated movies, not, you know, I look at it and I happen to know the inner workings of that. And as successful as they are, they could literally double their, their value by increasing the quality of what they're putting out by having more depth, more meaning, and they could gain that easily by just listening to the people that are there, because I, I happen to know them enough to know that there's a lot of great ideas coming from in-house 
that are being negated by somebody up here who just, oh, it's, you know, they're more worried about selling more cars or more toys or more whatever. And it's, so success has really got nothing to do with just, it's not just the money because you could be making more money, even those extremely wealthy organizations, but you could be contributing to a world that's making it, making it a better place for everybody. You know, a lot of times they, they want to have all this money so that they'll be acceptable. So that, I mean, you know what's behind that. So that they'll be liked, so that they'll be valued, so that they'll be respected. But if you create a world that's a better place for everybody, then you don't have to be so fear-oriented because everybody's not, you know, out there trying to figure out how to make a living and get by and being afraid of not being... You know, it's, it's interesting with my book, um, Ron, the, the, mm -hmm. the people that embodied those were really, truly spiritually connected individuals, the ones that I, and like you said, they do, they went through something or they, you know, um, you know, one particular person, it was a business started a couple of generations ago and he was young and he was wealthy and he was, you know, kind of man about town kind of thing. And then he, at some point he started to look around and he was not, he was, he could do anything and buy anything and all those. And then he said, what am I doing? Like people didn't like him. He wasn't liked in his community. You know, he would give enough money so that he could get the respect, but he wasn't getting it. And then he started to say, I, I'm not happy. And I feel like people, I need to make people realize who I really am. And he started to make a lot of change, kind of grassroots in the, in the, organ in the community that he lived. He started in the community and then started to sit on boards. And then he started to kind of, it started to filter into his company that he started to treat everybody with that same kind of respect and kindness. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, he looked at himself and he realized how arrogant and um, privileged he was that he wouldn't have even liked himself if he could look at himself. But he, he was so afraid to look because he knew what, what he was going to see. And that arrogance is a protective mechanism. Mm -hmm. or that fear for that yeah. little boy who doesn't feel like he's enough. And so it's really what I watch, and I've watched it in spiritual communities, I've watched it in politics and business. I watch people rise up to a certain level and they, you know, they might work harder than anybody else and try harder and be more innovative, but they, they hit a certain level. And that's really, that level is, you know, that's when they get scared. But it's really just an indicator that they're evolving and ready to go, grow more. Those levels, when you, whenever you hit a, a roadblock, whenever you hit something that you're bumping up against and feel like you're being limited by or held back by, that is nothing but an indicator that you're ready to evolve. And if you go down in, if you learn how to breathe in, if you learn how to heal and take care of yourself, you really can say, oh, I'm bumping up against something. Well, I'm going to breathe in. I'm going to see what that is. And when you look and find the source of that and, and learn to heal that, what you immediately also access is the very part you need that allows and supports you to, to evolve and grow more fully. And so people, you know, they grow to this level and then they keep trying to use their old stuff for buying new shiny objects or whatever they're doing. And, and it's not working. And it's like, no, just go within, access the part that you need from within, and then you'll be able to continue to evolve. You know, it's, it's, it's like a lobster. Once a year, they feel this kind of niggle or discomfort. And 
you know, that's an indicator to them that they need to, they're going to shed their shell and grow a new one. And they need that larger shell so that they can continue to grow and, and evolve. And yet I watch, especially in business, uh, they just deny that indicator. They just try and go around that indicator that it's time for them to evolve and grow. Because, you know, well, the biggest challenge I see business leaders having today is that they're looking outside of themselves for what can only be found within. And so who comes to me are the people who are so frustrated because they can't find it outside themselves that they're willing to look within. And they know that that's what So I'm they've, they've gone to every pinnacle and they've hit and they've hit oh. and they've hit. And then yeah. now they're there and they're looking around saying, why, yeah. my, why, why is my internal space not embodying the level of achievement that everybody and everything around me says exactly. I should? Here, I've got the ring yeah. <laughs> and yeah. they're, they're, they're not having it. So what you said about five, five to 10% of people get to that point. Um, yeah. Do you think that has increased over um, kind of the uncertain times that we've gone through in the last two and a half years? Or do you think it's no. gotten worse? I think the potential for it to get better is there. I think people are frustrated enough. What it takes to move into those levels is very clear. Most leadership trainings don't have a clue on how to do it. And they even, you know, got half a dozen books to my left here that uh, will literally, and at some point they go, we know how to move them from mid-level to a little higher, but we don't know how to move them into those highest levels. And that's understandable because unless you've had a life that's filled with transformational experiences, personal significant transformational experiences, and had regular practices that maintain and, and support higher levels of consciousness, you're not going to understand that that's what the transformation is all about. So when people come to me, I'm literally supporting them and guiding them through significant transformational experiences, personal, very deeply personal experiences. And I'm also giving them all these different practices that help them really develop and, and reach a higher level of mindfulness presence do you yeah. find a lot of them are burnt up by the time they get to you like you know some of that alignment like pieces where they've mm -hmm. they've kind of worked so hard they've ignored you know their you know their cognitive and their emotional and then their body potentially hopefully their body hasn't given out but there's are they coming mm -hmm. to you in a, in a state where they just have to kind of recalibrate and get back to basics or do you find well, some people have done some things along the way they don't know how to be kind to themselves they don't know how to be supportive of themselves. And of course that's reflected in how they treat others. And so, yeah, I, the work I do, you know, the initial work is really taking people really deep within themselves and, and healing all those different aspects of themselves. So that they become a whole authentic, healthy, capable person that uh, it then begins to lead a life of evolving and growing rather than trying to stay in some disconnected comfort zone that's killing them quite literally. So yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I hear it all the time. I, yeah. And I've worked with some brilliant people and yet they'll always, you know, at some point they'll come in and they go, I feel smarter. And the truth is they are smarter because you know, they're using more of their brain and they're using not only more of it, but they're using it in a much more effective way. You know, just if you have stress going on, that, that midbrain where the amygdala, the emotional center is, is really running your life. 
and the chemical gates to the higher mind really aren't even fully open. So you don't have capability of thinking fully. So, so do you have people that are coming to you that basically have never meditated or not done any kind of mindfulness or because yeah yeah because yeah, I, I i mean i in court in the corporate environments that i've worked quite you know i i look at people and i'm thinking wow like they're so disconnected yeah. um and i'm like how do you keep i remember there was one particular um you know senior official at a place that i i um, supported mm-hmm. And she had had a heart attack and came back to work within a week of having a heart attack. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. how is that? Like, if you had a heart attack, your body is saying to you, <laughs> I'm at war with you. <laughs> and you're back at work within a week of having a heart attack. And it, that's it a, me away, what, right? what you're saying is that is a level of disconnection. That is a lack of acknowledgement, you know, the, of them paying attention to their body, paying attention to their relationship with themselves, mm-hmm. paying attention to anything other than making money generally. And it's, it's, it's sad. I mean, I'm not a salesman. I'm, I'm, in fact, I suck at it. <laughs> but but I, I feel like if somebody doesn't do my program, I really have to apologize because I haven't made it clear the connection between the dysfunction within themselves and what their goals are. Because as soon as they heal this, they can have any and all of this that they want. Right, because if they if they start with themselves, I often say, you know, start with yourself and then from there you can't help because now you've 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 you know glade the path for whatever needs to emanate from you. And I often say that you know we we come into this world and we have that light and we go along in life and we get the you know that we get pricked and prodded and we have to disconnect mm-hmm. right like you know mm-hmm. and, and you're you're waiting if you could just take that baby or that child mm-hmm. and somehow protect them against the elements of life you know that's exactly what you're unearthing you know or i'm unearthing mm-hmm. as i deal mm-hmm. with uh, uh leaders and their teams because then you're like well why did you become a leader and, and when you go back to the basics you know you'll hear people saying about you know i i really see i valued hard, hard work because um, like for instance, my 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 uh, grandparents were cane farmers. Well, so yeah. guess what? My father, who became one of the best leaders I had ever experienced since even and now, mm-hmm. used to be up at five o'clock in the morning helping his parents in the cane fields. Sure. So he valued hard work, but also recognized and saw the pain with a lack of money, right? And you know, for him, he always wanted to make sure whatever level that he got to that he treated everybody the same right and it was so it was you know it was inspiring to see because even though he would gone up to different levels he still treated you know the person you know kind of opening the door all the way to the person in the senior boardroom exactly the same because of kind of his kind of uh, beginnings which he never forgot right right well i think the beginnings are everything i really when you look at the infant coming into the world who's completely helpless, what they have to do is look outside of themselves for to be taken care of. And that's perfect, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. They, they learn how to bond, they learn how to connect, they learn how to fit into society. The problem is, is that initial training of looking outside of themselves continues as they become a teenager, continues as they become 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years old. And that, that's where the system breaks down. 
we need to really begin even in our teens, but certainly by our 20s, we need to be looking for self-acceptance and self-love, not for letting everybody else have control. What should we be feeling? How should we be feeling? And so that's what I find is as a child's growing up, they they adapt. They, you know, the whole, whole enculturation period, they they go, okay, well, what feelings are okay to have? Which one's not? Which way can I act? What level of awareness can I have? Uh, you know, how, how high can I reach in life and still be accepted by my community, my family of origin? And to, be, to kind of be stuck, accepted still by your, by your tribe. Because if you're, if you're too diametrically opposed, you're going to be left out in the cold, right? So yeah. really that Im- implicit message is, don't just kind of listen and be self-aware and take care of yourself first. Make sure that you're guarded and maybe you're doing a little bit of what you want, but make sure that you're okay with everybody else around you. And then that, you know, at some point you have to break from that, that, that I call it the big game where there's persecutor, rector, rescuer, and victim. But, you know, you have to step outside of that and go, okay, I'm, I'm going to make this about loving and accepting myself so I can really discover who and what I am. That's where an authentic leader comes from. That's where the transformation takes place. And, uh, you know, you can't shortcut that because you'll never know Absolutely. who you are. And then everything is just a reflection of that disconnection within yourself. And so, so if, if we can figure it out in our 20s, then this whole issue of transformation would be a lot more gradual. And then people could just kind of actualize themselves as they get along into their kind of primary or uh, pivotal points in their career. But unfortunately, that, that doesn't happen. It ha- generally happens more around crises versus kind of people coming forward earlier. I, you know, I look for, one thing I look for is, what was your program for getting love as a child? You know, I had to be nice. I had to be good. I had to be smart. I had to be athletic. Mm -hmm. Everybody's got a program that they came up with that would optimize the amount of love and acceptance they'd get in their family. They might not have gotten much, but they got enough to get through. Well, at some point you have to change that program to, to get love and acceptance. I have to love and accept myself. Mm -hmm. And so you have to go back and really reconnect with heal reintegrate all those disparate parts that you've left behind for acceptance from others and reconnect with them and reintegrate them and become whole again. And that's where self-acceptance and love come from. That's what the whole parts of self be talking about uh, as a psychologist, parts of self work, which is I'm sure there's, it's kind of the same kind of idea, which is like, which part of me have I not wanted to get connected to because that part of me really represents what I'm, don't want to face and in turn it keeps me stuck and I you know I recreate that in different ways throughout kind of little little bombs that I put off in your life and you see people doing it um, over and over again yeah yeah. but the irony is is by just going into that not only do you heal that but you find you know I, I can't say this enough you find the very parts of yourself that you need to become the person you want to become, to live the life, to have the success uh, and the love that you want in your life. It's all, it, it is like so incredibly perfectly designed. That I, I, I use, the, I use the, yeah, the example that, you know, if you were to cut your, you know, your arm right now, your yeah. body intuitively knows what it is needs to heal, yeah. right? And, yeah. and you know, unless something is really wrong, right? You've not, and you're run down. It's the same as the, with the, you know, the emotions, um, that that are held in the body, right? The body needs to honor it and re, and 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 
get connected with and release it so that mm. it doesn't stop that stop you from progressing along like you're saying now this is all fascinating and i want to, i would like to make sure that we we share what you're doing with your course because i think um for anybody listening, um, you know, either leaders themselves or even people with uh, senior teams that may be having some of the issues we're talking about, um, that they could, uh, you know, know what it's about and, and, and then obviously reach out to you to uh, do a consult or connect up for the course. Well, this is something that I've been developing for a long time and just bringing into play. It's transformational leadership training is really about a transformational leader is one who has really taken on that lifestyle, the one that is really supporting themselves and having significant personal transformational experiences ongoingly in their life. They're taking on regular practices, whether that's martial arts or yoga or meditation or mindfulness. And there's you know a lot of fun options, it's just a matter of which one they'd enjoy doing. And so that they really begin to, con well, not begin, but continue to, to develop their level of consciousness. And so, yeah, at some point you have to be willing to want to be fully responsible for your life. Mm -hmm. At some point you really have to want to be in your power. You know, I, a little exercise that I've done for a long time <laughs> is I'll, I'll have them finish a sentence. You know, if I love myself unconditionally, I'm afraid. And another I'm one. I'm afraid. Okay. And, and, I, and I have them finish that sentence. Mm -hmm. It every time, and I'm talking thousands and thousands of people around the world. Every time I'm afraid I'll, people won't like me. I'm afraid I'll be alone. I'm afraid I'll, and every time it ends up, I'm afraid if I'm in my power, if I love myself unconditionally, I'll die. Mm. So they, once they understand, you know, I don't prompt them. I just guide them in, in what say next and next. And they come up with the, the finish of those. And what they begin to understand is, oh, there's a part of me that says, that fully believes and is absolutely committed to, if I'm in my power, I'll die. Well, that's going to sabotage everything. If, if I love and accept myself completely, I'll die. Right. Oh, well, guess what? That's not going to work. <laughs> so, so you're going to do what to, you can to keep yourself alive. Yes. You've got yeah. to go back and, and reparent that, that child within you and say, gosh, you know, that was really, I understand where that belief came from. And that was probably accurate when you were little. But now we're a team. Now we can work together and I can handle these things. And so that's no, no longer true. You know, pe people have these lies that they live with. They do. They're personal lies. It's like, ask people what they mean by control. And you'll come up, you'll, you'll hear, they're usually definitions of being completely out of control. Right. It's the counter sighted, right? So it's, I often say it's, they're afraid of vulnerability. So they go to the other ends. And then, yeah. and then when they get deep down inside, I, um, when I practice, I did a, a technique called EMDR, uh -huh. which yeah. really kind of gets you out of the conscious brain into the unconscious right. and into right. the, you know, and then, you know, and then, you know, when you're trying to get them to, um, to kind of get to the space that they get to it, you just are a bystander and uh, eventually when they whittle down into it and they look at and they then they go you know something like um i'm not good enough right. and they go if you had told me that <laughs> without me coming to that 
yeah, by myself, I would there's no, I would have left your office a whole long time ago. <laughs> right, right. You know, yeah. but it takes time, right? It takes time for people to well, feel safe yeah. enough to be able to get there yeah. to, to go through the levels of consciousness to your point a bit yeah. at a time and to develop skills, you know, so that when they do get yeah. there, they can hold the space to be able to create the change that they need I, to. I've been doing it for decades and I find it takes a couple of months. Yeah, them yeah. to shift that program for getting love within two months they can quite literally shift that whole program for getting love and that whole come from and be on a be on track to loving and accepting themselves for more and more for the rest of their life and, and it's that foundation that we've created in that work that allows them to build whatever fulfilling and successful life they, they want to build you know i see so many people not create that foundation and they build their life on sand and it collapses you know you see people do, sabotage their lives in some way or another or just due to lack of happiness they're not taking care of themselves and they have a heart attack or right right and they you know, now they've gotten to where they want to but they're but they don't have their health or whatever mm -hmm. so um so for anyone looking to connect with you Aron, where what is the best way um and they, they can do that um and where can they connect with with the course itself i would if you go to my website ronstotts.com that's going to give you everything and on the home page there's a really nine insightful questions that i'd highly recommend for anybody and those questions are going to help them begin that inner journey they're going to okay. look at what, what is my biggest challenge? What is my biggest dream? And they're going to really begin to see what the gap between those two, two aspects of their life is. And as they see that, they're going to get a great deal more clarity as to what needs to be done and how they can do it. And of course, if they want to learn more about the programs, then that's uh, all, you know, I, my team's done a great job. It's just, it's wonderful to look at, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so they, the, once they kind of get into the questions, then they'll know and then have, uh, naturally have more questions. But um, it, this has been very, a very um, amazing conversation. I can see the depth that you would bring uh to companies and to clients and obviously you know that's the kind of work that I also do when I work yeah. with um with people just getting them back to like the core fundamentals of who they are whether they're doing what they do and what's blocking them from getting connected to themselves so in turn they can impart um their their space onto others um so you know it's so nice to, you know it's been around for this kind of work has been around for a very long time and I think in this day and age such such a need like you said, the, the ability or the consciousness that could be possible, you know, it's there, but it, you know, it's, it's, it takes uh, people um, like yourself and myself and other people doing the work to, you know, kind of do as best as they can to get um, people and companies and leaders along the way. Mm -hmm. So for um, anyone um, reach out that you need, if you're needing Ron with myself, my new book, ROR return on relationships is out. Um, so if you wanted to just go to my site, roxanderhodge.com, there'll be an assessment that you, if you're curious about how connected you are to yourself um, on, on every level of leadership, um, you can do an assessment and then you'll kind of get a sense of where you are and maybe we'll give you some guidance for some next steps. So again, Ron, thanks so much for, um, you know, gracing us with your time. So, so valuable. And for everybody, thanks so much for tuning in and we'll chat with you again next week. 
Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhajcom slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.